0: So, by far, by far, one of the best days of my entire life, my entire existence, uh, was the day that I got my driver's license, both in the way that it was miraculous, okay, because I uh, have all kinds of attention uh, issues, uh, and also just in the way that, like, finally it had happened. I was in uh, my 1992 Pontiac Sunfire, blue, it was super hot, white rim tires, had a four-cylinder, felt like you were driving a, a lawnmower. It was awesome, okay? But the best part about driving a car uh, in my uh, small town of Illinois in Vandalia uh, was that now I got to eat in my car, eat in my own car, because now I was a man. And in my town, there weren't many restaurants, okay? So so I, I fashioned on the first day that I got my driver's license to, of course, McDonald's. And listen, like, As a 16-year-old, they're just freeing. And and I'm not, listen, I, I know some of you guys are hating on McDonald's. It's fine. But listen, those McDonald's french fries, oh my goodness, you know? For 15 minutes of their lifespan, they are from the Lord. You know what I mean? After that, we don't know what happens to them, okay? Crazy stuff happens to them. But for those first 15 minutes, right, so I'm driving. This has happened to every single person who has ever driven a car and eaten McDonald's french fries, okay? Jim Gaffigan calls it the bonus fry, you reach in the bag, you know, and you find that little straggler fry down there, right? And then all of a sudden you like, you know, you you lose, you know, you kind of lose yourself and the the fry falls in the cavernous crevice between the console and your seat. Has that ever happened to you before? Okay, I remember like being a new driver, I'm like, you know, my foot's like propped up on the console because I'm going after this fry, I mean it this is a rescue mission for the french fry right now okay and listen like i've seen people do crazy stuff when they drop stuff in that hole some of you guys have dropped your keys in there you know like all kinds of uh, girls i've seen drop lipstick in there i mean it's as if they're you know the firstborn child's in there it's crazy all right speaking of speaking of uh a couple weeks ago a couple weeks ago i'm in walmart and uh, because that's what you do uh here in saint charles county and and so i'm in walmart And uh, my two uh, platinum blonde seven- and six-year-old sons are behind me. And I'm walking. And uh, for those of you that have ever walked with me, I don't run fast, but I walk very fast, okay? Walk with a purpose everywhere. People are always telling me to be slowing down. My two sons are behind me, I think. I'm walking quickly. I turn around in a moment of inspiration to tell them something. And this is the moment as a parent where, like, every possible emotion overtakes you because you're like, one, like... Where is the other one? Right. And, and if you've ever been to the St. Charles Walmart, well, really, just about any Walmart now, like, it's, it's, it's huge. It's a huge store. And so I'm, like, looking at Dawson, like, where is Maddox? And he's like, I don't, I don't know, Dad. And, and my wife heard this story for the first time in the first service, and so it was somewhat embarrassing, but <laughs> I, would like, I would like all of you to think that I've never lost my children in a superstore before, but literally two weeks ago. And every emotion as a parent, if this ever happens to you, likely it will, I mean, you're just, you're frantic. I mean, I'm like running up to complete strangers, have you seen Maddox? They're like, who's Maddox? Don't worry about it. I'm just like running around. I'm like throwing stuff off the, you know, off the aisles, like I'm just going crazy. And then all of a sudden with a big smile on his face, he like jumps out of the aisle, you know, surprised. I'm like, no, no, not surprised. This is horrible, you know? And, and it was only like 27 and a half seconds, but it felt like, it felt like three years. Rescue missions, I've never, listen, I've never seen a rescue mission, never seen a rescue mission until someone loses their phone. Listen, you, you thought it was bad when girls dropped their lipstick in the little crevasse, okay? Okay. When a girl loses her phone, it's game over everything. <laughs> have you seen this? Okay? They start getting twitchy, you know? Where is it? I don't, you know? Somebody call it! Somebody call it! Like, the world is over! My, my phone is... Have you seen these moments? People lose their minds when they lose their phone, okay? The massive rescue mission effort. I've been studying rescue missions. I've, uh, I've looked at, in the last several days, rescue missions of helicopters taking people off mountains. I, I've watched, a uh, true story, I've watched the Coast Guard drop a swimmer to go save a boat that was capsized. And these guys are filming it. The guys on the capsized boat. And when the swimmer, the Coast Guard swimmer, gets on the top of the capsized boat, he says, hey, we have to stay on the boat because the whole time I dropped out of the helicopter, there was a shark following me. I'm like, seriously? This is awesome. Okay. So I found what maybe is the greatest Coast Guard rescue of all time, okay? And I thought, if you don't mind, since it's in 1952, and none of you, none of you have probably heard this story, I thought we should get a little bit more educated. So check this out. Look at this. Huge. The greatest Coast Guard rescue ever.
1: February 18, 1952, the 500-foot, 10,000-ton tanker SS Pendleton, filled to the top with kerosene and heating oil, had been ripped in two offshore. The crew of 41 faced imminent death. It takes my breath away. Mark Karen is the chairman of the Orleans Historical Society on Cape Cod. What kind of a day was it? It was what we call here a um, nor'easter, with waves that you can't even describe unless you see it. A teletype sent after the storm called the waters hazardous, the seas mountainous, the darkness extreme, the falling snow and winter gale violent. Heller Storm. Four young Coast Guard guys. A quartet of Coasties, none older than 24, was at the Coast Guard station on Cape Cod when the distress call came over the radio. Coast Guardsman Bernie Weber got an order to take his crew into the storm. It was a suicide mission. Casey Sherman co-wrote a book on the rescue called The Finest Hours, which is now being made into a Disney movie.
0: This on the radio, Shipwrecking them. She's a T2 tanker, split right in half.
1: About how Weber and his crew set sail on a small Coast Guard lifeboat, the 36500.
0: The compass is gone!
1: About how the storm shattered the boat's windshield, sprayed the men with glass, tore out the compass, and temporarily knocked out the motor. You're sending them out to die. About how with no direction, no help, and little hope, they found the stern section of the Pendleton... And most of the crew, Weber then faced a fateful choice. Does he take everybody home or try to? Does he only try to rescue as many as the boat can fit? And he told his men, boys, we're all going to live tonight or we're all going to die. But we're not t- going home without all these men. Bernie Weber, the son of a Massachusetts minister, was praying for a miracle. And he got it.
0: Have some of you guys seen The Finest Hours, the movie? Okay. It's a Disney movie, so it must be good. Frozen was good, right? Like, it must be good. Um, But, like, these guys lose their compass. They're on, like, a Gilligan's Island kind of boat. The intricacy of a rescue mission is crazy. And and so I got lured into all these. I mean, I'm watching movie and video after video of rescue mission. And one thing becomes very, very clear throughout all of them is the amount of work and effort And precision and desperation to like see the the rescue mission for which all of you can relate to when you've lost your phone like it 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 all of a sudden heightens the the beauty of the rescue and so tonight I, I want us all just to step back and watch some beautiful things happen straight from God's Word tonight okay and I know this will I know this will seem like a weird joke Okay, but here's our four characters. All right, look at this. An Israelite leader, the king of Jericho, two spies, and a prostitute. And I know this seems like an intro to a really, really bad joke, okay? It's like, what's going on here? These are the characters. I'm not sure what's going to happen, right? But these are the characters in our, in our story, in Joshua chapter 2. What happens is the Israelite leader, Joshua, he's an old man. I've mentioned many times, 90-ish, probably has a cane and a limp. Listen, he all of a sudden, commissioned by God, commissioned by God, sends two spies to go and check out Jericho. Jericho is a city that is fortified by two tall, thick walls. It's a city that's seven to nine uh, acres wide. It's a big city. It's a fortified city. It's a strong city. And so what happens is, as Joshua sends these two spies, we soon learn they're the worst spies ever, okay? Within seemingly hours, the king of Jericho finds out these spies are there, and not just that the king of Jericho finds out that the spies are connected with the prostitute Rahab. And then in a crazy twist of events, this prostitute Rahab hides these Israelite spies in her roof. Okay. She saves them, protects them, and then forms an oath with them, a shaking-the-hand kind of covenant. She says, listen, listen, you save me and all of my family... Because she says, I know that your God, that your God is going to give you this land. That's what she says. And so then she says, Listen, save me and all of my family. That was her plea. And so now our story picks up just where all of these characters have left off in Joshua chapter 2, verse 15. So turn in your phones, your Bibles, if you haven't lost them, to Joshua chapter 2. Verse 15, check this out, the beautiful, beautiful continuation of the prostitute with a name. I want to start where we ended in verse 14 from last week. And the men, the spies, said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. We have an agreement. Our life for yours. Verse 15, here we go. Then she let them down by a rope, this is crazy to me, okay, through the window, which is interesting. Let me make sure we all understand this. Apparently in the walls of Jericho, again, very fortified, very thick, very tall, in the walls, uh, what I've learned is that the the impoverished or the the not wealthy, their uh, lodging would sometimes be in the walls. And so literally in this fortified city wall, the prostitute Rahab has a window, she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. Generally her living in the wall sounds somewhat like a termite. In this case it was just more of a city a city understanding. Now Rahab's rope is of huge significance because like this is the one thing that she is attributed to. Like Rahab and a rope, Rahab and the cord kind of thing, right? And so there's been all kinds of uh, internet uh, sensations that have portrayed this, okay? So first we have this, uh, this picture. I, I don't really understand what's going on here. Rahab is huge, enormous, and these two spies are like, you know, Oompa Loompas or something. I'm not sure what's going on. Um, next slide. Of, of course, there's a Lego version of uh, Rahab and the cord here. You know, there you got the two spies, and apparently Rahab has red, fiery hair, Okay? And then this next one, I think, is, is kind of hilarious. It's tough to see, but the first spy looks scared, must have been afraid of heights, you know what I mean? The other spy's like, ha, 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 that guy's going first, you know, you can kind of catch me and like help, help my fall on the way down sort of thing. This is probably pretty close. Uh, I just want you to understand this scene. These guys were sent as spies. And now the prostitute, the harlot, is calling the shots. I want you to see how this transpires. Now she's like, because she recognizes how poor they are, listen, here's the deal. I'm going to throw down the rope. I mean, they're, they're not even making suggestions. Hey, Rahab, you got something we can, like, repel out of this window? I would think a good spy would do that. No, she's calling the shots. So look at verse 16. And she said to them, go into the hills. Again, Rahab, calling the shots. Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you. That doesn't sound good. Let me refresh your memory. The king of Jericho sends people out after the spies because Rahab deceived the king and said the spies had left the city. He sends pursuers. She saying, in verse 16, go to the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days, some Jericho version of hide and seek, until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, look at this, you may go your way. Isn't this awesome? I mean, Rahab is, and then you have permission to go your way. I mean, this chick is awesome, okay? Verse 17, the men said to her then in response, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. In other words, they're saying we're going to be men of our word, but we need to clarify some things. We need to provide some asterisks for things. Verse 18, behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Hide your, hi your kids, hide your wives. Now listen, uh, a lot of people have done a lot of things with the, with the red scarlet rope. They said things like the red scarlet rope is the blood of Jesus, and the red scarlet rope is the rope that's like the doorposts in You know, the Passover and the red, scarlet, like they've made all of these unfair uh, characteristic traits of it. Let me be clear. A red rope against a brown wall is better than a brown rope. Can we agree? Okay. So in other words, there's. listen, let down the scarlet rope so that when all the Israelites come to conquer Jericho, we can pick your window out of the rest of them. Okay? Now, could they have done this other way? Sure. Like, could it, you know, hey, put some daisies in the window, or, you know, like, send some doves out. or You know, there could have been other things, right? But for whatever reason, they use a scarlet rope. I just want to make sure none of you take the rope too far, okay? It's a rope, uh, but nonetheless, it's, it's not representing some sort of gospel Jesus blood rope, okay? Verse 18, again, behold, when we come into the land, gather all your family. We're going to remain true to this oath, okay? Verse 19. Then, if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, in other words, if your family leaves the protection of this room and decides to mosey on out into the city of Jericho as it's getting ready to be besieged, his blood, middle of verse 19, shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. Uh, there's a lot of things that are funny to me in the scripture that I understand aren't funny to others, but I'm just going to go ahead and laugh myself if need be. What cracks me up about this conversation is the prostitute lets the spies down on the rope, and now they're having conversation as they're on the ground. Is this not like, it's like as a spy you would think, let's take care of the negotiations while we still have some sort of power here, right? No, she lets them down on the rope, and now we're talking about blood and guilt on people's heads, okay? It's just a strange conversation just to me, okay? Look at this, look at this, okay? If anyone goes out of the doors of your house in the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we are guiltless. But, but, if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. So in other words, if you're protected in this room, and somehow something happens, then it's 1-800-OUR-FAULT. Okay, I don't think that's a real number. Don't look it up. Here we go, verse 20. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. If you go and tell the king, if you go and spread the rumors, if you tell people about this arrangement, there is no deal. Her response in verse 21, according to your words, so be it. Now I love this and here's why. I'm a trusting person. Anyone else? Self-admitted, trusting person, okay? Some people call us gullible. I like to refer to us as trusting, okay? Are we gullible at times? Yes. Does it burn us at times? Yes. Have I been burned today? Yes, okay? But in the body of Christ, fellow believers, one of the beautiful things and opportunities that I feel like we have with one another is not to trust That our yes can be yes and our no can be no in one another, but we can trust that God is doing a work in us. In other words, there's negotiations and talks going on between a prostitute and two bad spies out of a window in Jericho right now. And the prostitute says, as it has been said, like, so it is, like, we have a deal. Now, we know that she's a follower of God. Why? Because James chapter 2 says that she was justified by her faith and her works, that, that all of a sudden she was seen as innocent, though we justified means. So we know she's a follower of God. So right now you have these, these followers of God, these, these faithful followers of the Lord that are trusting one another. Here's what I've seen. I've seen some people who trust no one, and you know what I see is no joy. No joy. Because all they have to live is the slanted eye towards everyone kind of mentality. In other words, whatever anyone says, it can't be trusted. Whatever anyone says, like, they just have to steer clear. I'm not saying we need to be silly. And girls, I'm certainly not saying that every guy who says he loves you, that you're to trust. And every guy who says, come over, we're going to watch a movie, that that's going to go well for you. I'm I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we are ignorant or put ourselves in situations to be steamrolled. But what I'm saying is the beauty of the body of Christ, being able to trust that God is doing a work in us, that's a beautiful thing. And are we going to be burned? Yes. Listen, the amount of times that I've been burned because, uh, you know, this particular addict had said, hey, listen, Mark, it's all gone. I'm not on it anymore. It was way more beautiful, though, to extend myself and watch what the power of what God can do uh, than just, you know what, say, you know, I don't trust you. Forget it and distance the relationship. I love the fact that these people, these spies and a prostitute have just met and yet they're forming an oath. It's the power of what the bond of the Holy Spirit does in us. It's incredible. Now look at this. Verse 21, and she said, according to your word, so be it. Then she, again calling the shots, sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Now, here's what I'm picturing in my mind. The spies are like walking away. If you guys have ever went on a date before, a first date, you've, you've encountered this, okay? The, the guys are like walking away, right? And you know a date has went well if, you know, in this case, Rahab, if, if she's the guy and the girl turns around, you know, because you're like, as the guy waiting, like, okay, hey, have a good night. And she's like walking, walking. And then when she turns, like, it's go time. You know you're going to get married. You know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> yes. If she never turns, it's game over right there. See you never. You know what I mean? It just, you're, it's not going to happen. Okay, so listen. I, I, here's the image that I have in my mind right now. She ties the, the scarlet cord, okay, in the window. And I, I just picture these two horrible spies walking away from the city, probably in plain day, like, hey, everybody, good to see you. You know, we're coming at you here in a couple days. Anyway, right? But listen, then they turn around. And it just, I just, I'm just picturing this beautiful, beautiful moment as I see the scarlet rope down the window. You know, I picture Rahab still there. just this, like, we're together in this. There's a lot of times when you're reading the Bible that you you have to allow the power of what's happening in the word just overtake you and the beauty of what's going on overcome you. And I I hope that's happening for you right now. Uh, Now what happens is the spies make it back to Joshua. And this, again, cracks me absolutely up. Verse 22. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days, just like Rahab had said, until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nada. That had to be disheartening. Verse 23. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills, passed over and came to Joshua, the son of what? I've told you this is like going to happen all, all book long. And they told him all that had happened to them. Can you imagine this conversation? Hey, boys, how, how'd it go there in Jericho? Well, um we 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 you know connected with the prostitute um what you, you you did what yeah you know and we connected she was you know she had a room in the wall and um and then she hit us in the flax uh on her roof you know can you picture joshua like the 90 year old dude who has hurt a lot okay this dude was a slave for 50 years in egypt he's been in the wilderness for 40 years he's seen the seas part okay he's watched all kinds of chaos and he's listening to these two spies recount these things, right? And then, you know, she, she laid, she threw out the scarlet rope and, we, you know, we rappelled down like Navy SEALs. And here we are, Joshua. It's awesome. Okay. And then they say this in verse 24. And they said to Joshua, Captain Obvious, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. They tell Joshua what he already knows. Which I have read this story now over and over and over. I haven't stopped reading it in the last week. And my question has been, what is the purpose of the spies? I do not understand this entire... I'm just reading it and reading it. Why do these spies go? What's what's the intention? To then come back and tell Joshua, hey, we know you already know this. God's going to give us this land. Like I, I... like, it's not like Joshua needs to hear their testimony. Now, some would argue, well, you know, a shrewd leader has sent these spies in Joshua so that he can hear, you know, the, like how to, how to set up the military strategy. But then all of a sudden, a few days ago, I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm reading. And then one of the most impactful moments in my life in a long time, all of a sudden, this story about a prostitute with a name becomes very, very, very clear. Next slide. God went on a rescue mission to save Rahab, the prostitute with a name. What was the purpose of the spies? What was the purpose of the preparation that Joshua told the people, hang here, 1.5 to 2.5 million of you. We're going to send the spies in, they're going to do a horrible job, but they're going to make connection with a prostitute named Rahab, and then all of us are going to get to watch the saving of this family. In other words, God stopped at nothing to save this prostitute. It's his rescue mission. That's what he did. The whole intention of the entire story, and further and further back, that we don't even have the the recollection to understand, was to pull this prostitute out of a dying city that he might save her, that then she might get married, and then her kids would be in the lineage of Jesus. And now, all of a sudden, it starts to put you and I and our story in such great perspective. If God went on a rescue mission for Rahab, then maybe that's what's happened in us. I wish that were the case in the room. I wish that were the holistic case that right now all of us profoundly impacted by the amount of detail that God went into saving you. I wish that was happening right now. the amount that all of a sudden you're realizing like, oh my goodness, and, and then I moved here and this person, you know, c- came in my life and then all of a sudden I'm sitting in a drunken stupor in my dorm room and, and then God, like, all of a sudden there was a knock at the door and it was my good friend who's been building a relationship with me and then they told me about Jesus and I, I gave my life to, to the person of Christ and surrendered it all, like, and you looked at all the pieces. I wish that were happening holistically in the room right now, but what I know, what I know is that a lot of you are struggling with this. Next slide. You're struggling with God isn't that personal, at least not for me. I know and maybe I'm realizing now that God went to no end to save Rahab in this like personal sovereign God connection with one person to save, but that's not how he is with me. I've watched him save my friends. I've seen him do some good work, but that's just, not, that's just not how we interact, me and God. My friends talk about how close they feel with God. I, I, you know, come to gatherings and it appears like there are some who are super connected with the Lord. But it's just like it's not personal for me. Maybe it was, but it's not anymore. It's not anymore. I want to address this. Here's how I want to address it. Next slide. If God were personal, what many of you would say is number one, he would communicate with me. You're struggling with doubt because you're saying if he was personal, if he was interested, he would communicate. Anyone who's in Christ, anyone can think back and remember a time that you would say God spoke clearly to you through His Word, through the prompting of His Holy Spirit. For me, one of the clearest times, I'm 15 years old, kneeling next to my waterbed, don't judge me, judge my parents. I'm, I'm kneeling next to my waterbed. And I just know for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God has called me into ministry. 15 years old. And so I just, i am on, on my face next to my bed, like, Lord, I don't even know what this looks like, I'm scared, I thought I was going in the NBA, but here you go, Lord. And everyone who's in Christ, genuinely in Christ, there was a time, there was a time where he was speaking clearly, where the words of the word became 3D, where where you were sensing things from the Holy Spirit that's, by the way, within you. But now, some of your doubt of his personal connection with you is because he hasn't communicated with you in a while. Let me make sure you understand something. Through all of those things, there has been one thing maybe that's changed, and it's not him. One of my favorite texts in Hebrews is He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, my friends. He is unchanging, is His character. But us. Situations happen, circumstances go down, this relationship goes down the yapper, all of a sudden we lose our job, we're in financial chaos, and now all of a sudden God isn't communicating because he's not communicating in the convenient way that we want him to. But I just, I I want to encourage you, please. This word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. The Holy Spirit resides within you. He is communicating All of the time, sometimes in a still small voice, sometimes like a thunderous voice from the heavens. But my friend, this word is alive. I understand the doubt. I just want you to know the truth. Maybe you need to remember. And when you remember, you'll know that he's a God that's still talking. Maybe you have just shut your ears. Number two, if God were personal, he would respond to my wants and questions. we will not have a perspective of a personal god until we learn how to celebrate the nose it's inevitable just about every gathering here a couple comes up to me hey mark we're discerning about our relationship should we be together can you pray for us i would love to okay so i pray god give discernment god show them are they to be together god provide direction for them Okay, homeboy comes back the next week. Hey, so man, what 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 happened? He lo- looking like his dog has died. Six of them, maybe, right? Yeah, what happened? Well, you know, it's uh, it's it's horrible. Like our, our rela- we decided that our relationship is no good. I guess God doesn't. I'm like brother. Then God answered your prayer. Then He said no. Remember last week when we were saying, God, shut the door, slam the doors, God, make clear. You guys understand what I'm saying? We only think God is clear when he agrees with us. Hey, God, as long as you fit in this category, as long as you give me all the things that I want, and if you would finally answer my question about the dinosaurs, then we're all good. But the first time God says no to that school, no to that relationship, no to that job, no to, no to this a perspective of your a life pursuit, then we turn our back. If we learn how to celebrate the no's, oh, my goodness, God becomes so personal because he is a father who is protecting his kids. But so many of you right now, right, God says no, forget you, God. And if the next day you won the lottery, oh, Lord, you're so good. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. The blessings don't stop flowing. Number three, if God were personal, he would feel near. Listen, you guys know, I think, if not, this is your first time, you can probably tell I'm a highly emotional person, okay? Okay? A little less thinker, a little more feeler, okay? All right? But, The one consistent thing that I hear as I talk with you is people associate their relationship with the Lord with how they feel about how the relationship is going. Let me give you an example. I have a wife. She's awesome, and I love her, and at times marriage is frustrating, okay? Any married folks here? Could you amen that, please? Okay, six of you. Thank you. Um. And someone just, amen, got an elbow in the side. Um, so it's amazing to me, it's amazing to me that sometimes my wife will send me a text. And it will say, love you, babe. Okay? And because of where we're at relationally, like, I'm like, oh, man, honey, like, that's so sweet, you know? And now with the new iOS, you know, I like flip it sideways and like, love you too, you know? And like, we just have this like really cool connection, Right? But if she was a smart alec about an hour before, and she sends the exact same text, love you, babe, I'm like, what? You you what me? Oh, and why'd you call me babe? Like I'm not Mark, I'm not your husband, I'm not your stallion, now all of a sudden I'm your I'm your babe? You know? Like I. If I base base all of my understanding on a relationship by my emotions, I will be misguided by the second. Now, I've taught this many times before. Listen to this. Where right doctrine and theology or right view of God understanding of God meets emotion that is a beautiful place of worship in other words as my thoughts of who God is drives my feelings about who God is that is beautiful but my friends just because he doesn't feel near doesn't mean he isn't he's in you how much nearer can he be than the Holy Spirit residing in what the scripture calls the temple your body oh he's just not near what I'm not saying you can take an x-ray and all of a sudden you see HS somewhere in the lung cavity, okay? But his nearness, his nearness, my friends, is in us. But I know many of you doubt it because of how it feels. And this next one, oh my dear goodness, number four, if God were personal, he would take care of my problems. All right, let's get super, super real. Some of you who are single, You have some single friends. Amen? All right. Um, Let's talk in hypotheticals then, okay? Um, Right? And you and your single friends, if you have them, okay, you're praying that God would provide, you know, a relationship. And I guarantee you this has happened in hypothetical world. All of a sudden, God brings, you know, a... A dating, a relationship for your friend who was single with you. Oh, that's so awesome, says the mouth. I hate you, says the heart. You know what I'm saying? Oh, let's celebrate. Can I go to dinner with you guys and the entire time stab you, okay, in my my imagery? Like, think about it. Why? Because when we see God answer the prayers of others, it creates contention in our heart. But God, what about my problems? What about the stuff that's going on in me? Why are you hooking them up all the time? I'm even more righteous than that person. And way cuter than that person, why did she get a dating partner, right? Like, hook a brother up right now, or a sister in that case, right? You see what happens when you realize... That the one problem that he's taken care of is the one problem you need taken care of, then all your perspective changes. Um, see, here's what happens, right? Like, you're so consumed, I get so consumed by my temporary problems, and all a good father is saying, but I've already taken care of the eternal one. That's why he says, Why would you worry about your life like we studied a few weeks ago? Why would you get so anxious? Why so troubled? Why, why, why? I've already given you freedom from sin. I've gone on the rescue mission and saved you. I pulled you out of the pit of hell. And yet somehow the, the life that you're living can bring so much contention. And so we look up at God. You must not be personal because you're hooking that person up. But I got problems. Listen, the one problem, the one problem that you need taken care of, he has. So now all the other problems, the financial chaos, the relational stuff, the Why don't I have clarity about my future and on and on and on, all of a sudden get a little bit minuscule in the picture of a good dad who's saying, I've taken care of your heart. And finally, if God were personal, he would pursue me. I'm really, and I just, again, you guys know this, I love you, I care for you, I tell you this all the time, I'm... I'm so glad that you're here. My heart breaks on number five for you. Because I know for sure that there are those dear friends, dear brothers and sisters in this room who believe that God isn't pursuing you. Who believe that God hasn't gone after you. And I believe you believe that because of this. Next slide. Our perspective of a personal pursuing God is jaded by our sinful human relationships. Why would God go to all of the trouble to pull a prostitute and her family out of the side of a wall in Jericho? Why? Because he can and because he saves and because he pursues. He goes after, but our inability to believe that at times is because we thrust our human experience on the person and character of God. They betrayed me, they gossiped about me, they turned their back on me, those parents divorced, all of that chaos happened, and so God will too. How can I trust him when everything around me is falling apart? If all of a sudden the perspective of relationships is seen through the lens of our relationship with God and not the other way around, oh my goodness, the perspective change that could happen tonight in this room is unbelievable, my friends. When you wake up and realize, hold on a second, hold on a second, hold on a second. What if I started seeing all of these relationships through my relationship with God instead of seeing God through my relationship with all of these people. So I want to show you some things tonight about God. Can I do that? And you don't really have a choice. So um, next slide, check this out. Here's Mark 2. As he reclined at at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Beautiful picture. For there were many who followed him. You guys get this image like Jesus and Sinners, as the scripture, they're all reclining at the table. They're hanging out. Verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was uh, eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, I love this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are what? Come on. Who are sick. I came not to what? Come on. Call the righteous, but sinners. I came to call. I came, first of all. I left the heavens. I humbled myself. I left the throne of glory. I came. I pursued. I sought after. There was a plan in place. I followed through. I left all of that so that I could call sinners. That not enough? Check this out in the Gospel of Luke, okay? And Jesus said to him, he's talking to Zacchaeus, because Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? A wee little man was he, okay? Climbed up in that. Here we go, okay. And Jesus said to him. Some of you guys who didn't grow up in Sunday school, you're like, dude, that guy, okay. (laughs) Just making up songs on the spot. No, 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 listen to this. And Jesus said to him, "Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Please see verse 10. For the son of man came to what? What's the word? Seek and save the lost. He came to seek. He came to go after There was a rescue mission in place. And I just want to show you one more text from a little bit earlier in the Gospel of Luke. One of my favorite stories. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Do you see the pattern? It's as if Jesus was drawn to the social outcasts. It's as if there's a a pattern in the scripture of God redeeming those who seem very unlikely to be redeemed, named the prostitute, named the Christian murderer in Paul, named the pagan man from a pagan land in a pagan family, Abraham, named you and me. There's this pattern in the scripture of God pursuing those who are unlikely candidates of being pursued. And here he is again. Tax collectors, sinners, the social outcasts were all drawing near to him. Isn't that amazing? They're drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the Pharaoh, commies, okay, and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and even eats with them. So Jesus, being the Savior of the universe, told them a little story. Here's how the story goes. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one. The one that is lost. Until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing like I did with my son in Walmart after 10 seconds of anger. It's just, it's just that moment, right? I found you, son. You're here now. You're home Now, and you get the image in your mind, the the shepherd putting the sheep on his shoulder, rejoicing that he's been found. And when he comes home, he calls together, does the shepherd, his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. I went after him. I left the 99. I went after the one. I sought them out. And finally, see how the story ends in verse seven. So I tell you, there will be more, what's the word there? Come on, joy in heaven over one sinner, one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And so I got to the end of the story of Rahab. And my life will forever be changed with seeing what God did to save one. And maybe, just maybe, right now in this moment more than ever has happened in your life your eyes wake up to the truth of what God has done to save you. The people the scenarios, the hurt the nose the open doors the comfort and on and on and on. God's Rescue plan for you is now to be marvelled at and cherished. Why? Last slide, please see this. This is the truth for every single one of us in Christ. The great God of the universe has saved me. You say, and somehow, yes, simultaneously, others in this room and people in China and folks down in Ecuador and folks in uh, up northern Canada and on and on. Somehow, the God of the universe has sought me out. He's pulled me out of the grips of hell. And he saved me. Now, when that reality happens, listen, please hear me. It changes everything. It changes everything. Because now I wake up every single morning, and I don't need a guitar to worship. Please, somebody. If there's one thing I long for this body more than anything else right now is that we would become worshipers because of who God is and not what's happening. We don't need a guitar, Hillsong United, or you name it to worship. I wake up and every single morning Lamentation says his mercies are new and I'm reminded again of what he has done to save me. The plan put in place. That somehow he would allow sin in the garden because he could have stopped it. He could have stopped it, my friends. He allows it. Does he put the fruit in Adam and Eve's mouths? No. He steps back. He allows sin to show us how much he loves in Christ. He already knew you would be born. He sets the plan in place, the motion in place. The nation of Israel rises up. They show they cannot obey God. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of proof. These people, even though they're God's people, cannot obey. There's a Savior that has to come. He sends his son. His son comes in humility, leaves the heavens, lives a perfect life, and then on a Roman execution stake, bleeds out. It's real blood. It's real blood. The real gashes. his flesh is really opened up. And then what the Scripture says, after he says it is finished and dies on the cross, that on the third day even though it's not Easter Sunday today, the tomb was empty. He rose from the dead, conquering death, so that anyone who aligns himself with the person of Christ will share in that same conquering of death and will forever be in the new heaven and the new earth with the Lord God all the days of their lives because of this plan to rescue his people, to rescue me, to rescue you. And so the question tonight is are you ready to celebrate? Is can life change now? Put yourself up in the window as Rahab holds the outer pieces of that wall and she watches the spies walk away and the memories of her prostitution go through her mind and the memories of her hurt, the memories of your hurt, the memories of your sin try to rear their ugly head, but in that moment, she holds tight to the wall, and she says, no, I am saved. I know there's some of you uh, also here tonight who you're now realizing God's not personal because you have no relationship with him. Can I just share something with you? The rescue mission isn't over yet. In fact, in fact, what if, listen to this. What if, in all of God's sovereignty, He put you here tonight? Think of listen to this. What if some of you, five years from now, will be telling someone your story? And you'll say you'll never believe what happened? I came to this place and I was hearing about a prostitute Rahab and how God sought after her and saved her and then I saw this beautiful text about how God was seeking after the lost and hanging with sinners and then I realized that that is exactly who I was. And maybe five years from now you'll tell the tales of what God has done, that can be your story tonight, right now. The scripture says call on the name of the Lord as we worship tonight, maybe your mouth out of it will just be screaming, God, save me. God, save me. God, help me trust you. God, give me faith in you. The day of rejoicing that the saving work of God for you and for me has happened right now. Let's stand together, my friends. Unhindered. Uninhibited. Unafraid. Give us right now the reminder of the joy of our salvation and flood our hearts with it. Remind us the stories. Help us understand the path. Show us how you sought after us. We just stand right now, God, and say thank you. Thank you for pulling us from the pit. Thank you for atoning for our sins. Thank you for being near to us.